You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. So as James writes in the first 13 verses of chapter 2, and he writes about favoritism as he challenges us with it, he's writing to say favoritism must not exist in the church. Now, although this story, this experiment has nothing to do with the church, it is um, an example of at least one form of favoritism. I mean, think about it. Joshua Bell, world famous violinist. His violin is valued at $3.5 million as a Stradivarius. He packs out a concert hall in Boston where people pay on average $100 a seat. That means there were seats that were worth much more than that and there were some that were left. He packs it out. Yet two days later, The same world-famous violinist plays in a metro station in Washington, D.C., but this time he's not dressed in uh, a fancy vest and bow tie, but he's dressed as a street performer. Remember, it's the same guy playing the same violin, playing the same intricate pieces, and no one takes time to really notice him. What's the deal? Why the difference? And I would say that the difference is perception. Joshua Bell in the concert hall is perceived to be the world famous Joshua Bell. He's written actually one of the most intricate pieces for violin. So he receives great favor. But Joshua Bell playing in the metro station, dressed, and you saw how he was dressed, in just kind of street clothes as a street performer, does not receive favor. It's the same guy with the same gifts and the same talents. And again, I think it's one example of the reality of favoritism, although not in the church. So today, as we look at James chapter 2, we're going to find that as James continues to present his case for true faith, he without hesitation makes it known that true faith is seen in how we as Christ followers treat other people. Do you hear this? True faith as a Christ follower, is seen in how we treat other people. And with great clarity, and you're going to see this as we begin to read, he makes his point right away. So I'm going to begin to read. I'll do what I've done in weeks past as we've been in James. I'm going to read a little bit, and I'll talk a little bit, and I'll read a talk, and talk, read, talk, read, talk. Uh, so you just know which way I'm going to go. So beginning in verse two, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, <clears throat> he writes, My brothers and sisters... Believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Did you hear that? Right away, he gets directly to the point. Apparently, there had been a problem with favoritism in the church. To what degree, we don't know. But because he addressed it, we can safely assume that there was some problem with favoritism to some degree. And so as he confronts it, he says this, favoritism is inconsistent with true faith and the behavior of a Christ follower. 
So let's stop for a minute. What actually is favoritism? I mean, we can hear the word. We know what it is. But what is it? When we're talking about favoritism, we're really talking about partiality. We're talking about being partial to one person or group over another person or group. It's much like discrimination uh, in that we make judgments on what we see. We devalue. We degrade based on what we see. Uh, that's, That's favoritism. And so as James is right away talking about favoritism, he, 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 he hits it right on the foot. Let's, let's see what else he says. Let me read a little more. Beginning in verse 2. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy clothes comes in also. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, You stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? I want you to imagine with me for a moment a scenario, a modern day scenario that really describes what James is talking about. And let me say before this happens, this would never happen at Grace Covenant, particularly on our campus. So this is an imaginary situation, okay? It's not a passive-aggressive way to say, stop doing this. Um, Imagine you get to church a little early on one Sunday, and you're a people watcher. You just like to watch people. So you're standing kind of in the back under the TV monitor, close to Chris, right outside the sound booth. And you're, you're facing this way. You're facing the door. So you're watching people come in, and you have a bird's eye view of the ushers and the greeters. And as you're watching, you notice this man walks up to the door and you look at him and you go, that man's got money. I mean, you can see the gold glistening on his body and you can see that his clothes are a little bit different than everybody else's clothes here. He paid a lot of money for those clothes. And where you're standing, you can smell just a hint of his very expensive cologne. And as you're watching You see the usher greet him. Oh, sir, we're so glad you're here today. Let me take you to your seat. And they take that man right to the choice seat in the house. Best seat in the house. But you continue to watch. You're still facing the ushers, greeters. And another man comes in. And this man, when you look at him, it's very obvious that he's been through the school of hard knocks. Life has been hard. He's down and he's out. He's, he's, he's dressed shabbily, needs a shave, a haircut. Um, his clothes are dirty, and actually, he's dirty. And from where you're standing this time, it's not the scent of expensive cologne that you smell, but instead you, you smell a different smell. It's, it's, it's the dirt coming from his body. And as you're watching... You, you, you can't believe what you see. The, the usher, again, this would never, ever happen here. The, the usher says to the person, um, we would suggest today that you sit out in the, in the lobby area during service. Uh, the, the, the message will be piped in out there. There's speakers out there, so you can, you can hear. But we think that that would be the best place for you to sit today. If you saw that, you would say, I cannot believe what I'm seeing right now. You would call it out. You would say, that is favoritism. That is partiality. The rich man won over the poor man. And you say, no, that's not right. That shouldn't be. And that's exactly what James is saying. 
No, this should never happen. Favoritism should not happen in the church. Here's my paraphrase. Here's my paraphrase of those four verses, those first four verses. Don't be a snob. Social snobbery or favoritism is inconsistent with the behavior of a true Christ follower. This should not happen in the church. In fact, this should not happen anywhere in the life of a Christ follower. Let me ask you, and, and it's, it, it's a simple question. Um, what, as you, as you think over your lifetime, as you've observed favoritism played out in various situations, what are some of the ways that favoritism, some of the simple ways that favoritism might be played out? What, are there some ways that you've seen it played? I have some to give you if you don't have any, but what are some of the ways you've seen? Just think simple. How about this? Think things like <laughs> the attention we give to a person, the way we greet them, the way we engage in conversations, opportunities that are made available to them, a response to a person based on their age, their gender, their race, their education, their income. Those are just some of the simple ways that favoritism could play out in our lives. Maybe not intentionally, but because of the human nature in us. So um, I always think messages are great time for honesty. You don't have to answer this question out loud, although I said that in last service and one man just immediately answered this. <laughs> um, have you ever been guilty of being a snob as a Christ follower? Have you ever been guilty of being a snob? Can you identify a time when you showed partiality or favoritism to one person over another or one group over another and for a reason that was a bit self-centered? Think about it for a moment. And probably we know right off the bat. Um, What are some of the motivations that would cause a person to show favoritism? Now, I'm asking a question. I'd love to have some answers from you. Again, I have something to give you. But what, what are some of the motivations that might cause a person to show favoritism? Anything? Thinking? Let me give you a few. Um, show favoritism because you want to be with the in crowd or you're trying to climb up the social ladder, the need for approval. Maybe you think, I think this relationship might very well benefit me. A need for acceptance by someone that's perceived to be important or maybe we're just looking for something that might make us feel better about ourselves. Are you guilty of any of those things as you think about your life? Again, you don't have to answer out loud. But would you, are you guilty of any of those things? Now, right now we're kind of talking about showing favoritism, partiality. In a, in a, we're favoring someone. But think about it on the other side. When you show favoritism to one person, what does that cause in the person that did not get favor, so to speak, the person that was rejected. Well, I think these are some of the things that says, I'm better than you. You're less than me. You're not worth investing time in. You're unwanted. You're unlovable. You don't fit in. Don't waste your time here. 
Have you ever been guilty of making someone feel that way because you showed favoritism? I think I have. In fact, let me just rephrase that. I know that I have. I know that I have. How we treat other people is one of the tests of true faith. You and I, as Christ followers, we can't separate human relationships from divine relationships. Let me give you some proof. Um, In John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35, Jesus said, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. Do you see the human and the divine connection? Love one another the divine, as, as Jesus would say, as I have loved you, so that you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. On another occasion, uh, Jesus was questioned about what's the greatest commandment. And we find this in Matthew chapter 22, verses 35 through 40. Here's what it says. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, And with all your soul and with all your mind, this is the first and greatest commandment. So there's the divine. But he goes on to say, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the commandments and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Do you see the connection? As Christ followers, the way we treat people cannot be disconnected from our relationship our, our, our faith that, that we hold. Um, he says, love God, love your neighbor. And then it's interesting, he says, love your neighbor in the same way as you love yourself. Love your neighbor in the same way you love yourself. Remember in Luke chapter 10, there's a story of the Good Samaritan. And that's how we classify it. And the question is asked, then who is my neighbor? If you recall, if you know that story, there were... All kinds of people groups involved in that story. People that came from different backgrounds. And what we learn from that story in Luke chapter 10 is that, oh, that's our neighbor. That, that's, that's, that's who we love. So again, here's the message that James has clearly delivered. Snobbery is not compatible with true faith. Let me read a little further. Verses 5 through 7. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who were poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? Did you notice there are four questions in that passage? There there, there are four questions in those three verses. Here's question number one. Has God not chosen the poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is yes. Scripture proves this. Listen to um, Luke chapter 4, verse 18. It says, this, this is, remember, Jesus went into the synagogue. He was, had the scroll brought to him. It was unrolled, and he read from the prophet Isaiah. And this is part of what he read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the who? To the, to the poor. The Apostle Paul affirms this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 29. I'm going to read it from the New Living Testament. 
He says, remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the, the world, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and then used them to bring nothing, uh, bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of the Lord. Here's the point that James is making so far in this passage. You have dishonored the poor. The poor man comes into your meeting and you judge him. You devalue him. You degrade him. Your actions, your attitudes, your behaviors are not consistent with one who has true faith, a true Christ follower. Remember, those that you are devaluing, that you are degrading, these are the same ones that God has chosen to be members of his family and citizens of the kingdom of God. That's the point he's making. Here's the second question. He says, is it not the rich who are exploiting you? And the answer again is yes, it was commonplace for uh, uh, the rich to oppress the poor. Question number three, are they not the ones dragging you into court? The answer again is yes. The rich would take the, the poor to court over debts that were owed. And question number four, aren't they the ones to slander Jesus whose name you bear? And the answer again is yes. They were wealthy, Christ-rejecting Jewish people. The point that James was making is these rich people that you're favoring, they're mistreating you. They're abusing you. Why do you favor them? Why do you want their approval? You know what he was telling? You're short-sighted. You're, you're not even taking the time because you, for some reason, you want to favor these people. You're so short-sighted that you're not really seeing what's going on. This is his message. Why are you so short-sighted? True faith doesn't dishonor the down and out, the less fortunate, those who are different than you, by favoring the lifestyles of the rich and famous. According to James, true faith is seen in our attitudes and our actions towards the powerful and the rich, And it's seen in our attitudes and our actions towards the weak. But listen to this. The kingdom of God gives priority to the weak. We read it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 said, God chose those who were powerless. He chose the weak. So here's another question I want to ask you. Have you ever been lured by favoritism? Think about yourself. Have you ever, because you favored someone or some group, you found yourself in a really big mess? It just got messy really quick. Have you ever been so short-sighted that you couldn't recognize that the person or the group that you favored, you were partial to, was actually nothing but trouble? But there was something that was luring you to them. You were favoring them. They were willing to use you, abuse you emotionally, mentally, spiritually. If that's happened to you, here's the message that James is speaking to us today. Wake up. Don't be short-sighted. 
Don't be short-sighted to the dangers of playing favorites. Don't be lured by what you see on the surface. Don't be lured by what you see on the surface. So James has talked about snobbery. And he's talked about short-sighted Christians who are unwilling to recognize the danger of favoritism. Now let me just go ahead and prepare you. He deals with the sin of favoritism. Listen as I read verses 8 through 11. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, listen to this, but if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Do you you see what's going on? James just called it out. He says, if you show favoritism, you are guilty of what? Say it. (laughs) Sin. I mean, he says, if you show favoritism, he called it out. Favoritism is sin. Favoritism and true faith are not compatible because favoritism is sin. So he's saying, love your neighbor the same way you love yourself and all is good. And this is God-pleasing. But if you practice favoritism, it's a matter of sin. Why? Let me start landing the plane. It's sin because favoritism is the opposite of God's word and God's way. It goes against his nature. In Romans chapter 2, verse 11, it says very plainly, For God does not show favoritism. In Galatians chapter 2, verses 26 through 28, I'm reading this again from the New Living uh, Translation. All of you are God's children because of your faith in Christ Jesus. And when you were baptized, it was as though you had put on Christ in the same way you put on new clothes. Faith in Christ Jesus is what makes each of you equal with each other. Whether you are a Jew or a Greek, a slave or a free person, a man or a woman. Here's what James said. Here's what the passage says. In Christ, it doesn't matter about your ethnic identity, your gender, or your station in life. If we are in Christ, we are God's chosen people, and we stand to inherit all the promises that he's spoken in his word. In Christ, we're on equal footing, so there's no need for favoritism. Favoritism is sin because it discourages and it devalues others. Favoritism is sin because it dethrones God. In, in, in verse 4, uh, James says, when you, when you practice favoritism, you're putting yourself in the place as a judge. But then, in verses 12 through 13, and let me just read that to you. Uh, it says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So in verse 4, he's saying, if you, if you show favoritism, you're, you're putting yourself in. It really, in God's place, you're being judged. But he says in 12 and 13, God, God is, is the judge. God is the judge. So I think we all have to examine ourselves. I think it can creep in very subtly in very different ways. And so how do we, how do we guard? 
How do we guard? How do we confront the sin of favoritism in our own lives? Let me tell you this. Um, First of all, be sensitive. You never know what's going on in the life of another person. You don't know what their week's been like. You don't know what their life has been like. You don't know why they dress the way they do. They act the way they do. So we have to be sensitive to it. Here's the second thing I would say. Allow yourself to be surprised by other people. Allow yourself to be surprised by other people. I'm going to borrow a line from a favorite movie that I watch with my grandkids, Mary Poppins Returns. And there's a song in the movie that says, A book is not the cover, and the cover is not the book, so open it up and take a look. Let me say that again. A book is not the cover, and a cover is not the book, so open it up and take a look. In other words, look beyond the surface. I recently talked to um, a man who is a judge, and he said, not long ago, a man came into my courtroom and he was big and burly and he was filled with tattoos and he said, in my mind, I passed judgment and I determined he's guilty. And he says, as I listened to him for about two minutes, I realized I was wrong. This man was not guilty. And he said, I said, sir, You did not commit the crime. You are free to go. I think that's a great example. A book was judged by its cover or a person was judged on outward appearance. And it was all wrong. When he began to look into the the depths, he saw something different. Be deliberate. Make it a priority to authentically love everyone and be generous. Choose to give others what you have received from God. We've received mercy, not judgment. Um, I want to say this again. We often have conversations uh, on our Grace Covenant team, our our staff here uh, for East Lincoln Campus, of how thankful we are that we actually don't have to deal with these kind of issues in our campus. I'm not saying that they don't exist. I'm just saying we feel like we have, you are a, you're you're healthy. We we function not as a perfect church, but, but, but a healthy church. And so again, I want to say this is not some passive-aggressive message to, to try to correct you. Instead, I'd call you out on it if I needed to. But I do think that favoritism can seep into different parts of our life. If you remember, as I started, I said the intent that as James writes, he's writing about the sin of favoritism. He's writing to the church. The intent is that He's saying favoritism must not exist in the church. We're living in a period of time, and bear with me as I say this, we're living in a period of time in our culture where there's much division in our world. And that division has a way of seeping coming into the church we have an enemy his name is Satan and he would love nothing more than to see the church divided 
And I have to say that the church at large, again, I'm not picking on us, but I'm saying the church at large, for me personally, there's more division in the church than I've ever seen in my life. Soon I'll be 61 years old. I gave my heart to Jesus when I was six years old. So I've been at this a long time. I've been in the church. I grew up in the church. I've never seen so much division in the church, the body of Christ. And I think the enemy is having a heyday. And that's why this message is so pertinent to us. Because this division really flows out of favoritism. Hear me out on this. We live in a time where it's very easy to show favoritism to one person over another because of their political beliefs. I favor the person who believes this way or political convictions this way. I don't favor the person that that has political convictions this way. Did you know that this has been one of the greatest points of division in the church? Listen, here's what I want to say. Let me say one other thing. This has been a great point of division in the church and a syringe with a needle vaccination I want you to hear what I'm saying that is not a commentary on whether I think you should or should not wear a mask or you should or should not get a vaccination that is something that you have to work out for yourself and you will never find me telling you either way that's between you and God so that's not what this is about however this little thing has caused more division in the body of Christ such a simple tool of the enemy. And it shouldn't be that way. It just shouldn't be that way. We should all be able to see that we are on equal footing in Christ And we have to learn how to get along and not be divided over such things like that. Because when we're divided over things like a mask or a syringe or a political view or whatever it might be, the church, the power of the church is weakened. And we can't be the force that God has called us to be, the salt and light that he's called us to be in a world that is lost and dying and needs Jesus. Are we willing to forfeit someone's soul over this? And the answer for me is no. No. But thankfully, God is not a God who condemns. He simply convicts. And so I'm just saying, for me, I'm in a place in my life now where I'm having to examine personally. And I would encourage you to do the same. And if there are areas in your life particularly as it relates to how we function as the church at large, the body of Christ, where favoritism has gotten in and it's caused division, just ask the Holy Spirit to help you make the necessary adjustments in life. you receive that? Amen. Would you bow your heads? Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are the word. 
for the power of your word and the love of your word. But I also remember what we read in Timothy, that your word is God-breathed and it's useful for teaching and instruction in righteousness, but also for correction. And so today we receive your word from James, and we pray that by your spirit you would help us apply it in our lives where it needs to be applied. We ask for the power of your Holy Spirit to help us make the necessary adjustments in our own lives. Help us not to try to fix everybody else, but just be transformed by the renewing of our own minds and love the world in the way you've loved us. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, it's a question I ask every week. I'll continue to ask. Is there anybody here today and you've never had entered into a relationship with Jesus? You've never said, yes, Jesus, I believe that you took my place on the cross. I believe that my sin separates me from having relationship with you. And I'm sorry. And I, I, want, I want to have you be in control of my life. I want you to be my Savior. Is there anyone here today and you say, today's my day. I'm saying yes to Jesus for the first time. If so, would you just simply lift up your hand and let your eyes catch my eyes. Is there anybody? Anybody at all? Would you stand? As you go today, remember how we started this service. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And so as we go out of this place, I bless you in Jesus' name with great overflowing joy. Go and show the world what Jesus looks like by the way you live your life. God bless you. Have a great, great day. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.